chapter 6 we're going to be in. From verse 19 in just a moment. Let's come and sit down, folks. Just to say, I really do commend Compassion to you. They're an amazing charity, uh, an amazing ministry. Uh, I sponsor a little girl called Koyel in India, who's very sweet. I'm very bad at being in touch with, but it doesn't affect my sponsorship. So uh, just go for it. Go and have a chat with Claire at the desk uh, at the back at the end. Um, Come and grab your seats, Joe. Shepherd that, that lot at the back. And let's pray as we, uh, as we start. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this incredible sermon. The Sermon on the Mount that we've been in for, for weeks now just feeding on, just nourishing us, challenging us. Where you open up to your people, your disciples, what life in the kingdom looks like. What life to the full is all about and requires. And what we need to do to truly build the house of our life on rock. So we ask for your help now as, as we look at it. This evening, this brand new passage, give us insight, give us revelation, challenge us, speak to us, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're in chapter 6, verse 19, I think there might be the passage coming up on the screen, otherwise follow on phones, Bibles. <coughs> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. About your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or 
What should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Keep uh, that page open if you've got a Bible. We're going to be looking at uh, those words this evening. Dave, you might want to track with me at different points uh, on the big screen if you can. There is a sickness that is rife in our society, in our culture today. And it is the sickness of anxiety and stress. In researching um, for today's talk, I I did a little um, Googling and uh, found some stats, which I thought could be uh, of help. Uh, There was a Daily Telegraph article uh, not long ago that said that more than 8 million people in Britain suffer from anxiety disorders caused by the pressures of modern living, costing the country nearly £10 billion a year, according to a new study. They estimate that uh, around 16, 1-6, 16% of the population at any one time suffer from anxiety or stress. Whatever way you look at it, it is a major issue in our society, in our culture. Perhaps you're here today and you relate to that. You yourself struggle with anxiety, with stress. I want to put my hand up and say that's something I wrestle with. That's a reality for me in my life. And whatever scale, part of the spectrum we would put ourselves on with regards to anxiety, we cannot deny that we are people, we are creatures who worry. Your parents, you worry about your kids. If you don't yet have kids, you worry about your parents. You worry about... Your jobs, we worry about the bills, we worry about our health. We do worry about our clothes, what outfit we'll wear. We worry about what we're having for dinner later tonight when only the co-op is open and it often seems so limited. (laughs) We're British. It's actually better now they've redone it. Uh, We worry about the weather. Whatever it is, we worry, don't we? It seems almost natural. And the problem is, what Jesus gets at in this teaching here, this long section, is he says our temptation can be with worry to think that by doing so, we are controlling the situation. That worry brings us some sort of control on what is inevitably out of our control. So we think the more we worry, the the closer we'll feel to that issue, the more we'll be able to control it. He says the very opposite. Rather than having a relationship with that situation, rather than adding to your life through worry, you will in fact take away from it, both in terms of your enjoyment of life now, but also perhaps even the, the duration of your life. The studies show that uh, anxiety, stress can indeed shorten our lives. So there's no point, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. If you have to worry about anything, he says, just, just worry about today. I mean, he's generous in that way, isn't he? <laughs> he gives us today. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We worry. 
There is a sickness in society. There is a sickness, perhaps even in our own hearts. And what I want to look at tonight is what Jesus says and how his teaching points to us being free from worry. But in order for us to get there, we need to understand what the source of worry is. So the Anglican amongst you will have already spotted my three S's. We've looked at the sickness. We're going to look at the source. And then I want to look at the solution. What is the solution to worry? Well, the source. It's interesting that if you look at uh, the passage, or um, Dave, perhaps you can get it uh, up on the screen. Uh, Do not worry. Verse 25. There's a new section which uh, the Bible commentators, those who wrote this, they like to divide the Bible up into little bits, give us helpful uh, categories and subheadings. And they've given the subheading here, do not worry. This is the do not worry section. And it's interesting here that when you look at it in verse 25, the first word there is therefore. And as you'll all know, as, uh, as keen students of the Bible, uh, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to ask, what is therefore? And it's there because it links us to the teaching beforehand. This is the importance of context, of reading every scripture within its context. And the therefore to do with us and the command to us not to worry is entirely to do with what's come before. And what has come before? Well, some interesting teachings about treasures, two treasures, about eyes, two sets of eyes, one good, one bad, about masters, two masters, God and mammon. What is the source of our worry? Well, it's to be found here in this mix of Jesus' teaching. And I was struck this week uh, looking at this teaching on eyes. I don't know if you've uh, Uh, read this passage before, hopefully you have at some point, but I've read it a number of times, and I think if I'm honest, I've always been slightly confused by it. Anyone else with me? Like when you look at it on its own merits, you just look at it, take it, and you just read it, and you're just like, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Is he talking about eyesight? What's going on? If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Is that got something in blindness, squint? What's going on, Jesus? If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that? Okay, we'll just leave that one. And you just move on to the next verse. I've never really understood what it's about. But preparing this week, I felt as if God quite literally opened my eyes to grasp what he was getting at. What the heart of this teaching is. And again, the importance for us to always read a scripture within its context. Because we cannot understand what Jesus is meaning when referring to our eyes. If we do not read it in its context and know what he's referring to before he speaks about eyes. Because directly before he says anything to do with our eyes, he's talking about treasures. And what Jesus is saying is that the source of your anxiety, the source of your worry in this life will be to do with what you allow through your eyes, what your eyes set their gaze upon, what you look at, what you set your heart upon. And your gaze will be used to look at one of two things in this life, two treasures that are on offer. One are earthly treasures. 
look at uh, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is saying, you want to you live a life that's free from worry, from stress, from anxiety. Well, fix your eyes, he says, on the right things. Take them off the wrong things. We all know what earthly treasures look like, don't we? I mean, you don't need me to tell you. We, li- we live in central London. I mean, just good luck going to work tomorrow without you casting your eye on something shiny and some window display. Just leaving here, passing screen, you'll go past some shop display. Whistles for the ladies just down the road. Oh, that's a lovely number. You know, guys, I don't know what it might be. You'll go past, you'll just see some sweet BMW or, for, you know, might be cars. Might, I don't know what it is. Clothing. Maybe you're looking for a house at the moment. Whatever, there, are, there are things on offer in the world that appeal to us, that our eyes go after, that they take in, that we're drawn to, that are attractive. It's just the nature of the world we live in. And Jesus isn't condemning those things as such. In fact, later he says, your father knows that you need them. You know, the things we're drawn to. Yeah, we, we do enjoy, you know, clothing. We, do in, we need somewhere to live. We need a house. It's good to have transport to get around in. Jesus is saying, your father knows you need that stuff. He's not condemning it. Instead, what he's saying is, do not set your eyes on them. And by that, what he means is not just your physical eyes, although in reality, our physical eyes do look at different things, don't they? But you know what? What we look at with our physical eyes reveals actually what we're looking at with the eyes of our hearts. Because do you know that the Bible says we've got two sets of eyes? We've got our physical eyes, and we've got heart eyes. Paul says in Ephesians 1:18, he prays to the Father that he might open the eyes of their hearts. And what we look at with our physical eyes reflects automatically what's going on in our hearts, what we're looking at with our heart eyes. And it's really what our hearts are going after that will determine what we look at. And Jesus is saying here, Don't store up, don't look at earthly treasures. Why not, Jesus? They're shiny, they're deeply attractive, I want them. Give them to me. What's wrong with earthly treasures? Well, Jesus says two things here. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures. So what he's critiquing is a selfish mentality, a selfish culture. Where, where we hoard materialistic things, where we take more than we need, where we make a mockery of those Claire's been speaking about in countries like India or in extreme poverty who live with virtually nothing. And yet we grasp at more and we hoard it and we store it because it's appealing, attractive to the eye. And Jesus says, don't, don't store them up for yourselves. Don't be selfish. Put others first. Don't live just for yourself. That's the first thing. Secondly, he says, don't don't go after, don't gaze on, set your eyes upon, don't store up earthly treasures. Why? Because they're temporal. He says, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. I just want to go a bit interactive for a moment here. I mean, stick a hand in the air this evening. If you've ever owned an item of clothing, most likely maybe a jumper, a scarf, a jacket, that has been attacked in some form or other by a moth. There's been moth eaten. 
Perhaps some of you are wearing something. Is anyone wearing anything tonight? Slightly moth if you're honest. Give me a, come on, someone here, you know you. Yes, thank you, thank you. Just check the elbows. It's normally the vicar that's guilty of that. I mean, not this vicar, I mean any, any vicar. Um, stick a hand in the air if you've ever owned a car or a bicycle or anything metal for that uh, that's been got by rust. Yeah? Put a hand in the air if you've ever had anything stolen, whatever it might be. It might be a car, it might be a bicycle, it might be a packet of crisps. It's just, just, we know what it is. We know the temporality of all that is in this world, don't we? Everything passes away. Everything is dust. It's the nature of earthly things and of earthly treasures. So, given that that's their nature... And those threats exist to those things. What will be our natural default position with regard to them? With regard to anything we have in our possession? We'll worry about them, won't we? To one degree or another. Because we'll, I mean, I'm not encouraging it, but tomorrow morning you could get into work and you could suddenly think, I wonder if there's any moths in my wardrobe. There probably are. You begin to worry. I wonder, did I leave the bike out? Rust. Did I lock it up? The thieves. You know, we worry about them, don't we? This is the nature of all the world we live in and of the things we possess. It's just an invitation to worry. Jesus, you see, what he's, he's not condemning these things. He's not outright condemning materialism. What he's just pointing out is the world you live in and the nature of that world will mean that the more you have of this stuff, the more you are going to worry. And the more life you will lose because of it. And if you want a life free from worry, Jesus is saying, don't set your eyes on this stuff. What's the source of worry? It's our eye gates. It's what we let in through these things. But these things are led by this thing. What we truly want in our heart. What we go after here. That is the source. We get that under control, and we'll look at that in a moment, then we can truly begin to lead a life free from worry. So don't store up earthly treasures, Jesus says. Instead, he goes on to say, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Where moth and rust do not destroy. There aren't any moths in heaven. Hallelujah. Can we hear an amen? I've no idea why. Why, why do they not get there? But they, well, they don't behave in the same way in glory. They get rebuked, as they should be. Rust. Rust is, you know, employed in a different way as well up there. Thieves aren't present. They're not welcome. Unless they've been forgiven. And then they get in. You see, what Jesus is saying is invest wisely with your life. Fix your eyes, both physical and spiritual, with your heart. Fix them on eternal things, on rewards that will truly last. Where no moth can damage, where no rust can destroy, where no thief can steal. Invest and give generously to kingdom things, to mission, to ministry. In this church, in another church, invest in lives, invest in souls, 
Invest in what Jesus went after in his life. Who when he died, the, the guards played dice for the only thing he owned. It's one item of clothing, his tunic. He brought nothing into the world. He took nothing from it. Just as will be the same with any of us. Invest in compassion. 83p a day to change the whole world for one child. Isn't that something we could all do? Could we not better spend 83p than what we normally spend it on? Invest in eternal things. This is why Jesus, throughout the scriptures, he, he says and teaches so much about money. Because he knows it's such a big deal. This is why we sometimes uh, speak and teach about money. Not just because we need things. Oh, we do. We need a new sound system, for instance. Right now, it's just the nature of doing life, of doing church. But we don't teach on it primarily for that, because of our needs. We teach on it because we want to enable all of us to live a healthy life and have healthy hearts, healthy perspectives where we are freed up from this stuff of the lie in the world that says you need more and more and more, to realize that we can actually do with less and less and less. And we're freer because of it. And Jesus says, this is what it means for your eyes to be healthy. The word healthy there, literally, it, it, otherwise used as good, if your eyes are good, the word means if your eyes are single, as in single focused. Or if another meaning it can have is without wrinkle. I don't think he's not teaching about sort of eye masks or cream. He's like without wrinkle in terms of their focus and priority. He says if your eyes are good, if your eyes are healthy, if they're not greedy, if we're not coveting everything everyone else has, if we're not overly materialistic, then as Jesus says, our whole body, our whole being will be filled with light. Doesn't that sound good to you? Isn't that what this world desperately needs? People walking around who are free from everything else, the pressures and demands that this world would put on us, the shape and mold that it would seek to squeeze us into. Doesn't this world need people filled with light? This is the invitation. Jesus says, if your eyes are good, if you get your heart in the right place, you look at the right things, then this will naturally happen. Light will come out. It will bubble up. Because it won't be buried by so much stuff. But the flip side, Jesus says, is if your eyes are unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness. In other words, if your eyes are darkness and they're looking at the wrong thing and only letting in darkness, how great is that darkness? Reality is it's hard, isn't it? Living in 21st century London, uh, a materialistic society, consumeristic culture. It's hard. We, we can sit here in church and be like, yes, I agree with all this stuff. I agree with what you're saying, Pat. I put, <laughs> I put my own hands there. I also agree with you, Pat, with what you're saying. But if we find our hearts still going after it. We find our eyes still being drawn to it. 
I'm speaking to myself, guys. You know, first, any time we preach, I speak for Tim, we're preaching first and foremost to ourselves and then the church. We're all in the same boat. I mean, I'm not a huge shopper uh, by any means, but something weird, like once or twice a year, I seem to enter a zone, like the twilight zone of shopping, where just something happens and I switch on and I get focused, single-minded, and I, d I can just go hard for two or three days. I'll make three or four visits to Westfield. It's easiest on the overland from my house. I'll be back and forth, changing jeans, doing this and that. Some, I just get in the zone. I need to refresh and do a bit of retail therapy, and then everything's good. Had, it had been a while, and then New Year came and went, and I was back in London, and uh, I was around at, uh, Emma, my girlfriend's, and I noticed she had about three or four boxes of trainers unopened in a, in a sort of parcel in her room. I was like, what is this? You've got loads of shoes. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I just ordered them in, and then I, you know, I try them on. They're in the sale. The sales are on. Uh, I try them on, and the ones I don't like, I just send back. And I was like, something happened, like the, f the, the switch flicked in my head, and I just got in this zone, I'll be honest, it's semi-confession going, you know, I got in the zone where the next week, late at night, I could be found online, <laughs> visiting the websites of office.co.uk, shoe.co.uk, timberland.co.uk, Nike, I was just scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of shoes, checking the sale items, working out, I don't really like the sale items. What are the full price items? Let me have a look at you. I just got in the zone. I ended up ordering about nine pairs of shoes. Because I knew the system. If I don't like them, I just send them back. The embarrassing thing is, because I'm here Monday to Friday, nine to five, I need to make here the delivery address. So at random points in the day, and embarrassingly, often when I'm not there, uh, the buzzer goes and someone has to take delivery and sign for, oh, another pair of shoes for Pat. <laughs> so last week, we, we do morning prayers now as a staff team, the Book of Common Prayer. Um, it's very Anglican, and it's very nice. Uh, and Tuesday morning, we were doing the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, you read some liturgy and uh, read a psalm. And then there's a collect, which um, Tim and I read because we're, we're the priests, we're the holy ones. And then uh, I was reading the collect for Tuesday. That's a joke, by the way. We're all priests. <laughs> I was reading the collect for that day. And it started and it went on. And it's just such conviction. Because uh, it, it went on to give thanks for a certain saint. They often do on a specific day. And it said, and Lord, we give you thanks for your servant, St. Anthony. I don't know if you know anything about St. Anthony. Um, whom you called to sell all his worldly possessions and live in the desert. And I was like... Oh, gosh. I mean, barely have we finished morning prayer. Then again, the buzzer goes on the door. And I'm taking delivery of a very nice desert boot made by Timberland. I mean, the, uh, it was just, the Lord was laying it on. I mean, he's a genius. It, it hits all of us, doesn't it? It's a challenge for all of us. But this is the source. The source for that sickness that we have it's actually self-inflicted. It's our own hearts. It's what we choose to fix the eyes of our heart upon, our physical eyes upon. So what's the solution? Well, Jesus goes on to teach that where we set our hearts and therefore put our eyes is actually determined by which master we serve. Now, you, you might hear that and say, master, what master? Master. Don't serve any master, Pat, the 21st century. You know, get a grip. 
Well, Jesus would disagree with you because he divides life into just two camps. Those who serve God and those who serve money. It's black and white, isn't it? I love it that Jesus is so simple, so challenging. We are either serving God or we're serving ourselves and serving the way of the world, which in our world is money, mammon. And isn't this the world we live in? Don't we see a world just desperately going after these things, over wo- after wealth, possessions, money, mammon, saying identity, our status is determined by what we have, what we own, what we wear, what we look like, all this stuff. And Jesus says, there are those who serve God and there are those who serve money. Just to be clear, God is not against wealth. He's the one who gives it. And the Bible never says that it's more spiritual, spiritual to be poor than rich. Jesus doesn't teach that. But he and the Bible do warn against the dangers of loving money, of setting our hearts on it, of opening up that source which brings in the sickness. 1 Timothy 6, um, verse 7 to 10 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I mean, who would just be delighted to be content? Can you imagine how much your life would change if tonight we would just said, I've got all I need. I don't need anything. That's slightly aside. Contentment. What a gift. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This is the Bible speaking. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Strong. Warning. Pierced with griefs. Having darkness in our inner being. Jesus, the Bible is clear. Be careful when it comes to wealth, when it comes to possessions. Be careful with what you set your heart and your eyes on. The problem is we, we tend to be those who think that we somehow can do both, don't we? That somehow we're the exception to the rule. We know we love the Lord, but we also want to say, Lord, I think I could manage it. I can handle it. Just test, give me, give me the money. Show me the money, Lord, and I will show you what I'll do with it. All the good things I'll give towards. I'll sponsor a dozen compassion children. I'll buy a you know, another sound system for the church. I will give richly to those around me. Just give me the chance. Let me win the lottery. We tell ourselves we'll be in control of it. We'll use it for good. And yet Jesus says, if your heart is going after these things, serving this master, then it will always be your master and it will enslave you. Could be that he wants to use people here for that very purpose, that he has that calling, but it's a special grace And be careful that you check your heart with your motivation. Because it is more powerful than you or me. It's like, you've seen the Lord of the Rings. You know that the ring of power that they go after, that it's all about. And people get tempted to take it into their own control, to use it for their own purposes. Good, noble people think with this we can win the war. Boromir. Is he from Gondor? 
Gondor. He thinks, if I get that, I'll be able to end the war, defeat our enemies, bring peace to the land. Noble purposes, and yet it corrupts him, doesn't it? And he goes after Frodo, this tiny, sweet guy, Hobbit. And he looks to steal the ring from him. He's even prepared to kill Frodo. It corrupts. Power corrupts. Heed the warning, Jesus is saying. You cannot serve both God and money. So today, as I come into land, where's your heart? Which master are you serving? Who do you love? Because the only solution, Jesus says, to a life of worry is to serve God. To love God. To give him all we are. To go after him with all we've got. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means seeking first the king. Putting Jesus first in every decision we make. In all of our priorities. Life, finances, relationships, career path, whatever it is. The king comes first. We seek first the kingdom. And when we do, Jesus says, all these things will be given to you as well. I won't let you walk around without shoes, Pat. I will take care. Just to be clear, I sent nearly all of those shoes back. I've only kept on to a hold of a couple. But Jesus promises that our Father in heaven will take care of us. He takes care of the birds, doesn't he? I mean, we don't see them sort of getting up early to bake bread. I mean, th- they eat. He feeds them. And the last time I looked, there weren't any flowers going online doing any sort of online shopping for what they wear. And yet, how stunning are the flowers and lilies and flowers in the world. Don't know many flowers. (laughs) God takes care of his own. And he says, are you not much more valuable than they? Guys, what a gift. What a gift to be able to walk free of this sickness to recognize the source, to know there's a solution. But the ball is in our court. It's what we choose to go after. So why don't we choose to be children of our Father in heaven? Fix our eyes on him. Seek first the king and his kingdom. Amen.